the center of our universe. We are not the ruler of our universe. And there is a king, and we ain't it. <laughs> we may be kings and priests, um, but we serve the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? We talk about his lordship, and it's... it's I'd written most of these notes before I'd even heard any of the songs. And it's and it's um it's all about his lordship. I have a couple of illustrations that I'm gonna share and I got some word, but it's like we have to understand our position. Now, some have grown up in the church all their life. Some have spent half their life in church. Some might be new. Some watching may not even been to church yet. The video, YouTube, whatever, might be the only church that they've ever been to. But we live in a culture and in a society that is forever pressuring us to do something contrary to the ways the Lord would do things. And the one thing that I know for sure is the way that God does things is not the way that we do things. His ways are not our ways. Sometimes we like to take control. I can guarantee you that our ways are not better than his ways. Now, we don't always understand why things happen. We don't always understand, like, we know the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Now, God received glory in that, and Daniel got out of that. But I don't for one minute believe that it was God's best purpose or intent to have Daniel in that lion's den. Joseph spent a lot of time between the dream and being second in command in Egypt in places that was not necessarily the best or certainly didn't seem the best at the time. But look at what happened. So we might not understand what's going on, but that doesn't mean that God's been knocked off the throne. It doesn't mean that he's not able to make a way where there seems to be no way. If you just won some great accolade sport, you just won like a, a world title, a world position in sport, you probably are not going to go around moping, feeling inadequate. You know, the, I, I don't follow, you know, the, the World Wrestling uh, Federation or whatever it is nowadays, whatever it's called. But I know one thing for sure is those guys know how to proclaim themselves victors <laughs> before, during, after, whether they did or didn't. Yep. <laughs> right? yep. You don't see those guys moping after a match. So let me ask you this. If we're all more than conquerors, and we're all victorious, and we're all winners, 
why don't we act or behave like it? Now, again, not preaching to you guys. <laughs> right? I mean, I am, but I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers, right? Because there's three pointing back to me. <laughs> right? We, we have a position in Christ. We have a position in God. That position is one of victory, one of authority, one of power. If, if, if I gave you, you know, the, the, the big trees, you know, like around here, you know, if a tree is bigger than you can grab it, that's a pretty big tree. Out west, that's just small stuff, right? Some of those big trees that are, that are out there are amazing. But if, I, if you had one of those big trees and I gave you a chainsaw and an axe, there's one tool that is going to cut down that tree quite easily with very little effort, very little waste. And there's another one that's going to take a whole lot of work. It will too eventually get that tree down. But if you choose to use the axe because it's what you're familiar with, it's because it's what you're comfortable with, it's because you don't feel that it, it's, it's not overwhelming or it's not daunting. Yeah, maybe a little bit of work, but a little work never killed anybody, right? Does that paint an illustration for you? We have been given some of the highest, most powerful tools in the whole heavenly realm. And we're choosing, instead of using the chainsaw, to use the axe or knife. Just because it's what we're used to. It's because what we're, what we're comfortable with. No idea where these are going to go. Thank you, Lord. John 19.30. Let's, let's go there. John 19.30. Probably an odd place to start, but I'm going to start there anyway. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, It is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He's on the cross. It is finished. What's finished? What do you suppose is finished? The old covenant? The work that he came to do? Right? The work of Calvary is finished. Salvation, healing, righteousness. The full package, the whole enchilada, nothing missing. The whole thing was done. For him? No. For you. For me. It was finished for us. So it, he did it. It is finished. Then logic would dictate it's done. Right? That's not a stretch, is it? Work with me here. <laughs> so if he fought the battle for us, and he won the battle, we don't have to. So why do we insist on trying to do what we're not equipped to do? 
We don't have to re-fight the battle. That's not to say there's not a battle, right? But the battle has been won. The enemy is defeated. We have to remind him of that sometimes, because he's going to try to impose his authority and his opinions on us. And we're in a marketing world, and he's good at selling stuff. Even stuff we don't need, he makes us think we want and need. Let's go to Romans 8, 31. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Whom will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from God's love or from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. But it continues, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. Overwhelming. You know, I think the other uh, King James said more than conquerors, right? Overwhelming victory. Unless your life is a whole lot different than mine, there are daily challenges and daily opportunities to um, take a different view of things, right? We can get frustrated. We can get discouraged. We can try to take matters in our own hands. I recommend against it. So I kind of in my opening remarks, I, I alluded to this, but let's go to Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. It says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So here's John again trying to do a practical illustration. Let's say you're in a foreign city. So not at home, not with family, not with friends, not with relatives. Totally out of your element, as it were. But I came to you as a stranger and gave you a car. 
not scuts and feathers, completely paid for, insured, inspected, registered, licensed, full of gas, ready to go. You can go anywhere you want. But you don't know where you are. You're not really comfortable in the community. And you have to go and pick something up. And the destination where you have to go is not just around the corner. It's a distance away. So what do you do? You could get in the car. And you could drive quite easily because you have your license. You're able to drive. Cars insured, licensed, gassed up, running, ready to go. You could take the bus. You could take the subway because you're in a city that has that infrastructure. You could call a cab. You could call an Uber. Dial up an Uber. Whatever. You could walk. And you decide, because it's what's familiar, it's what's easy, it's what's comfortable that you're going to walk. So you start to walk. It's all going, there's nothing wrong with walking. It's all good. It's good for you. So you walk. But nature being what it is, the weather turned against you, and it began to rain. And we're not talking like just, you know, the drizzly mist. We're talking one of these bone-soaking rains. So you're walking. Now you're drenched. Your feet are when you're walking, right? You still have to get to where you're going. Now you had made a choice, remember. You chose to walk. You get to where you're going. Cross the floor. You pick up what you needed. Now, you still have a choice. You could call somebody to come and get you. You could still call a cab. You could still get an Uber. You could still take public transit. But no, you're going to stick with the tried and true you're going to walk. So now you're soaked to the bone, chilled to the skin, scrudging in your feet, all chafed from being soaking wet and walking. Now you're carrying stuff. The illustration starting to show something here. We had a choice. See, we have been given the keys to that car. We have been given the keys to the kingdom. It's not necessarily the easiest route. It's not always the easiest method. It's probably not comfortable walking in faith is is not comfortable. Like Pastor Gary said, walking in faith ain't pretty. It's always easy after to look back with the testimonies there. But sometimes it's a long way between amen and there it is. <laughs> I'm not alone, right? 
so when we're when we're faced with the daily, right? We have the choice. We know that we can build ourselves up in most holy faith, and we can pray in tongue. We know that we can speak to our heavenly Father, who knows what we need of before we even ask. We know that we can speak and declare the word. Yet, is that always the first path? Should it be? It, you know, it should be a reflex. And bless God, there are people in this room where that probably is their first reflex. Praise the Lord. You know, thank you for the example and continue to show us. <laughs> I mean, we all know what it's like to be micromanaged, right? You know, when, when somebody's given you a task to do, and every two minutes they're checking to see if basically you're doing it the way they would do it. But when you're training somebody, you need to show them how to do it. And then you have to let them do it. Sometimes they're going to want to try and do it a different way. They want to go their own way because they need to learn that you do it the way you do it because the way you do it works. <laughs> How often do we do this, right? Where the Lord has shown us the way and we want to do it, but we think in our infinite wisdom that we have a better way. God's way is good, but it's taking too long. I'm sure I can expedite things. Again, you guys have heard me speak before, so you know I'm a self-confessed doer, right? Like, I'm a doer, I'm a fixer, I like to get things done, I like to help people. One of the one of the first lessons I remember my my past Pastor Edwin, you know, one of the scriptures was you know do whatever you do heartily as unto the Lord. And so I I endeavor to do that in my life. But sometimes that gets me places in situations and in positions where. I'm not ready for. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> See, we need to remember that. Let, let's go. Let's go to another scripture here. I don't want. I don't want this to be about me. It's all about him. Philippians four, chapter six. See, there is a there is a book that is written, that shows us how to live life. All we have to do is read the manual. I can say that, you know, following instructions, instruction manuals, the instruction manuals may come with everything you buy, but it's generally not the first thing you open. Yeah. How many times have we put stuff together and taken it apart because we didn't do it quite right? 
Philippians 4, chapter 6, verse 9. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and mind as you live it, as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. If we walk our everyday life knowing that, knowing that everything God did was for us, and that he can and will look after us because he loves us. Not because of what we did, not because we earned it, not because we did this thing or that thing or the other thing or because we gave this match or that much. He did it for us. We didn't earn it. We can't earn it. We didn't deserve it, nor will we deserve it. But he has given it to us. But like the keys to that car, we have to take them. Then we have to get in and start it. And then we have to put it in drive and drive it. Looking at it in the driveway, it may bring us some peace and comfort, but it's not helping us. The Bible on the coffee table is not helping us. The word, and again, I'm preaching to myself here too, right? The word that we hear and receive is great, it's wonderful, it's feeding, it's nourishing, and we are well taught here in this church. But if we don't apply what we have learned and are learning and continue to learn, right, the benefit is minimal. And just like, you know, we've used this illustration before too, you know, you can go to the gym and look at the weights. You can watch somebody else working out. <laughs> you can say you went to the gym, but did it benefit you? <laughs> 
See, when we think we can do it on our own, it's a form of pride, right? When we think we can do it better, or we don't have to do it the way God said, that's pride. Pride goes before fall. I didn't write that. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before fall. Here's another one. Proverbs 13, 10. Pride leads to conflict. Those who take advice are wise. <laughs> Listen to the book. Listen to our teachers. Listen to the prophets and heed the prophets and receive the prophets' reward. We need to remember that we can't do it. Jesus has already done it. We need to believe he did it. We need to accept he did it. We need to receive he did it. When we were... were first day of my new lips. <laughs> when we worry, stress, fuss... We're not trusting. When we <laughs> murmur, complain, there's other words I could use, but I'll we'll just leave it at that. It's, it's expressing our fear that God can do it, but he probably won't do it for us. That's what the enemy wants you to believe. That's a lie. Because everything he says is a lie. He's a liar and the father of them. But Jesus came to give us life. He loves us so much. Mark chapter 5. I'm laughing because I'm just like, I'm just, I don't even know where I am in these. Mark chapter 5, verse 35. So, a couple of expert excerpts from this. I'm going to break it into two sections. So first part, 35 and 36. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. Of course, he's talking to the lady that was just healed. They told him, your daughter is dead. There is no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. Okay, so Jairus has gone to Jesus looking to have him come and heal. Along the way, the procession is interrupted, and another lady is here. Meanwhile, the girl dies. They say, Jairus, don't bother the master. He's already dead. But Jesus heard them. Don't, don't listen. Don't be afraid. Just have faith. So before the girl, she, she's going to get healed, but before she does, there's a road, there's a path that has to be walked here. Between the time Jesus said, just believe, they have to walk from where they are to where they're going. So I imagine that's a long walk. 
It might be 100 meters. It might be 100 feet. It might be two kilometers. I don't know. But I know for sure at that point in time, if you were Jairus, it would seem like a long walk. They get there, and then there's the commotion. Because there's the mourning and the wailing and going on. Right? And Jesus says, she's just sleeping. And they laugh at him. So now there's a commotion. He kicks them all out. But none of that changes the outcome of what's about to happen. But picture the scene for a minute. Let's pick it up, verse 37. It says, And Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. Now, everyone there is convinced she's dead. So much so that they sent a, a messenger to say, don't tell him not to bother the master. He's dead already. She's dead already. The crowd laughed at him. They laughed at Jesus. Let us think in for a minute. You know, sometimes we walk the walk of faith and, you know, sometimes we're challenged. And sometimes we're scorned. And sometimes we're laughed at. This ain't new territory, folks. <laughs> we're talking to the Lord here. The crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave. He took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. <laughs> they were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. And then he told them to give her something to eat. I don't have time to go anywhere near where I was going to go. But it, the fact of the matter is, is that the Lord loves us. And he wants to see us walking in the victory that he has accomplished for us. So we need to think on those things that are pure and noble and of good report and not think of those momentary blips and bumps where we miss it, where we flesh out, where we become overwhelmed with emotion just because of the, the pressure of the moment. We know, and God knows our frame. He knows that we're still learning this. We don't have it all together yet. Again, speaking personally, we don't have it all together. <laughs> Verses and scriptures of, of, of examples of God fighting the battles for us. That's where I had intended to go. Obviously, the Lord had a different, different plan. His ways are not our ways. We can read, we can read how, uh, read one example if I can find it here in the midst of all this. 
Uh, yeah, just one part. I'll go to one part. We'll go to Joshua 24, verse 8. It says, finally, I brought you into the land of the Amorites on the east side of the Jordan. They thought against you, but I destroyed them before you. I gave you victory over them, and you took possession of their land. He fights. There are so many scriptures where it talks about him fighting our battles for us and that his ways are not conventional. Is, is, uh, we have time for one more. Let me see if I can get there. Uh, let's go into Second Chronicles, chapter 20. Uh, I'll pick it up in verse 4. It says, so people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. Jehoshaphat stood before the community of Judah and Jerusalem in front of the new courtyard at the temple of the Lord. He prayed, O Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are the ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. O oh, our God, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people Israel arrived? And did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? Your people settled here and built this temple to honor you. They said, whenever we are faced with any calamity such as war, plague, or famine, hello, we can come to stand in your presence before the temple where your name is honored. We can cry out to you to save us, and you will hear us and rescue us. And now see what the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir are doing. You would not let our ancestors invade those nations when Israel left Egypt. So they went around them and did not destroy them. Now see how they reward us. For they have come to throw us out of the land which you gave us as an inheritance. Oh, our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against the mighty army that is about to attack us. Why do you not? We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. So there's the, there's the big truth. Hang on to that. We are looking to you for help. They're not running out to fight. They're looking to you to help. Verse 13, as all the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, wives, and children, the Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. His name was Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Bananiah, son of Jeel, son of Mataniah, a Levite who was a descendant of Asaph. He said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, listen, King Jehoshaphat, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march out against them. Okay, so this doesn't mean that you get to stand by and watch, but it gets better. Watch this. This is cool. Tomorrow, march out against them. You will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jeruel. And some of these places and names. But you will not even need to fight. 
Did you catch that? Verse 17, you will not even need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you. O people of Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. Then the king Jehoshaphat bowed low with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshiping the Lord. Now, this is good and good. Then the Levites from the clowns of Koath and Korah stood to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. And with a very loud shout, early the next morning, the army of Judah went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets, and you will succeed. After consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. At that, at the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. The armies of Moab and the Ammon turned against the allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. After they had destroyed the army of Seir, they began attacking each other. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one of them, sorry, not a single one of the enemy had escaped. Verse 25, King Jehoshaphat and his men went out to gather the plunder. They found vast amounts of equipment, clothing, and other valuables, more than they could carry. There was so much plunder that it took them three days just to collect it all. On the fourth day, they gathered in the Valley of Blessing, which got its name that day because the people praised and thanked the Lord there. It is still called the Valley of Blessing today. It's not us. (laughs) It's not us. It's not ours. Him. We look to him. We ask him. Because let's face it, most of the time, we probably don't know what to do. And if we do, even more important to ask him, what should I do? Because just because you know what you could do doesn't mean that is what you should do. Hallelujah. Does that help anybody tonight? I know I needed it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Our God is good. Amen. How good is our God? He is so good. Hallelujah. Just thank you, Father, for your word. I pray that it has gone forth and it will bring forth that which you sent it to do, that it will change hearts and change lives and bring you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this message has encouraged you in your relationship with the Lord. For more information and ministry resources, we invite you to visit our website at www.newcovenantchurch.ca. We look forward to you joining us next time as we continue to live victoriously.